0: Good to see you. I'm good. She kept them together, it looks like. It was good to see her last Wednesday here. One day at a time, sweet Jesus. here. He just, he just wants to hang out with you, guys He does. He's showing his shirt. Hello, Annabelle. Those are some cool shoes, <laughs> Good. I I was like, Got your family off okay? It's good to see you. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord, amen. As we make our way back to our seats, could we stand together, amen. I'm thankful for the family of God, aren't you? Thankful for the family of God, praise God. Could we just lift up the Lord together right now? In this place, could we lift our voices, our hearts, maybe even our hands to him today. Lord Jesus, we worship you. We thank you for your great grace. Thank you for your great grace, Lord. We worship you tonight. Hallelujah, we worship you. Father, we thank you for the privilege of worship. We thank you for the privilege of your word, Father, of opening it together, Lord. We lift you up tonight. We pray your name be magnified in this place. We pray that you be glorified, Father, that men be drawn to you. We worship you, Lord Jesus. You are good in every way. I thank you, Lord, for your long-suffering toward us. I thank you, Lord, for your patience and kindness. I thank You, Lord, for the work of Your Spirit and Your Word that knows our frame and reaches and ministers where we are. I thank You, Jesus. I thank You. I worship You tonight. I pray the work of Your Spirit and Word. Hallelujah. We worship You, Father. We worship You. Thank You. Thank You. Thank You. Praise God. You can be seated if you'd like to just want to take a few minutes here tonight, if I could. How many, I'm, I have an interesting question for you. I'll put you on the spot. How many of you grew up without your biological father? Would you raise your hand? If you grew up without your biological father, okay, maybe fifty percent of the room. Um, how about how many of you grew up without a father figure? Let me say it that way. Okay, all right. It's it's interesting. In our world today, when you start looking at statistics, and I don't have a bunch for you, I don't have any for you, um, but if you if you look, um, I've heard some along the way, I've looked at some along the way, of the impact of a fatherless generation, um, and so... If you were to ask people in our world today, if we were to walk around and talk with individuals and visit with people um, on the street, if you will, or what have you, and if we were to ask them, describe the love of a father, uh, some would probably have a difficult time expressing that especially if they had no knowledge or relationship with God, no knowledge of a relationship with God. Uh, We we live in a time that because of what we have seen in the natural, that it's very difficult for many to relate to the love of a father and even the role of a father for some in their life. I thank God when I... uh, consider those so many here in this congregation that you're raising your children together as a mom and a dad. Uh, Don't underestimate how precious and valuable and beautiful that is. Uh, It is a precious, precious thing and uh, very, very worthwhile. I was, I was found myself Quickened by the Lord in prayer, thinking about the love of a father. I just want to read a couple of scriptures to you. Um, Hebrews, Hebrews, Luke chapter 11. Verse number 9. Luke 11 and 9. Jesus is speaking here. He's, of course, following his teaching on prayer, or really he's continuing his teaching on prayer. Luke 11, just like Matthew 6, starts with what we often call or refer to as the Lord's Prayer. And so when we get to verse 9, Jesus says, And I say unto you, ask, and it shall be, what? Given you. Anybody here besides me did you grow up where you were taught don't ask? Anybody? A few of us? Yeah <laughs> Sister Vanessa, your hand went up real high. <laughs> yeah, we, in, in that interest, can you put your hand back up again if you were sort of taught that you don't ask, right? You don't ask for right. look, look at that. It's interesting, isn't it, that um, I, I remember growing up as a, as a child, I learned very quickly you don't ask. I had once asked my grandfather, I I don't know if I asked him for five bucks or a buck or I I don't remember. I, but I remember that I asked him for money and you would have thought the way my mom reacted that I had just committed the cardinal sin and that I, I had no idea. Um, and, and, and I don't remember exactly what she did. I just remember her response. It was like it petrified her. Uh, now, granted, I didn't understand the whole... I, I was a child. I was under five years old. So I didn't, I didn't know the whole father-daughter dynamic that was going on there at that time, which maybe I could relate to now because I'm older. And But still, I remember that. And so as children, oftentimes there was this teaching that you don't ask. You don't ask for things. You wait. Um, And it's interesting how that sort of carries over into life. And it can carry over even into our relationship with God. But Jesus is teaching. He said, I say to you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened unto you. Those are promises. Now... We didn't read the first eight verses preceding that, but those are important because they give us context. Some people want to throw out, grab verse 9 and say, well, ask and you'll receive, seek and you'll find, knock and it's open. And so i got a few things on my list I want to ask for. And that's not the context in which that scripture was shared by the Lord Jesus Christ. It was shared after him first sharing about seeking the kingdom, praying the kingdom and the will of the Father, and then asking, seeking and knocking. And so that's important. But watch, let's read on verse 10. For everyone that asketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh, findeth. And to him that knocketh, it shall be opened. Isn't that precious? Do you believe that? Do you believe that about your Father? That if you ask and you seek and you knock, he'll give, you'll find, it'll be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, ah, notice now he brings us into this parallel, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? kind of father would that be, right? Uh, I'm guilty at times of sort of messing around with my kids and giving them a hard time. But I can't imagine if they said, hey, Dad, I'd like an egg. And I said, oh, here you go. <laughs> Throw a scorpion out at them, right? We, of course, wouldn't do that. Verse 13. Now watch what Jesus says. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children... How much more, say that with me, how much more? How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask Him? The Lord desires to give good gifts to His children. There is not a loving parent in the room That doesn't desire to give good gifts to our children. We derive value from that, whether that's the smile on their face, the joy that's expressed in their exuberance, whether it's the big hug that comes or the flow of gratitude words that comes after the giving of the gift. We love giving gifts, uh, good gifts, to our children and the scripture tries to draw, the lord tries to draw on that attitude of a parent of a father that draws value from giving gifts when he helps us to look and relate to him as our father and understand he derives value from giving gifts to his children there's a value that god gets as mine and your father in this relationship. He derives value from giving to us. I, uh, I don't want to develop the relationship with God that says, Well, I don't ask. He draws value from giving. It's the heart of a father. It is the love of a father. Turn over in Luke to chapter 15. I don't know how all these are going to tie together. I can only give you what is here and we'll see what the Lord does with it. Verse 11 in chapter 15 of Luke. We find a father here. It says, he said... Jesus is telling a story. He said, a certain man had two sons. And the younger of the sons said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, took his journey to a far country, and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husk the swine did eat, and no man gave to him. And when he came to himself, he said, How many hired servants of my fathers have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I'll arise and go to my father, and I'll say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven before you. I'm no more worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your servants, your hired servants. He arose, came to his father. Now watch, let's hold on there, verse 20. So here's a young man, grew up in his father's house, It would seem from what we know of the story that they had a good relationship to some degree. At least the father provided a place of living, a table, food to eat, clothes to wear, shelter. Seemed to have substance or substance that took care of his son. But the son came to an age, even in that environment, with that type of father and with those things there, he came to a point in his relationship Where he was ready to go out on his own. At least that's what he thought. There's always somewhere where we get in our walk, in our relationship as we grow. Where if we're not careful, we'll get this idea of just going at it on our own. But this young man decides. And so he comes to his father. And he says, Father, you know I've got some inheritance that's due me. Maybe a little bit of entitlement there. I don't know. But why don't you go ahead? And so clearly he understood something about the father having prepared things for him. And so he says, give me what's mine. And so the father did it. Gave him what belonged to him. And it says the boy went out and then he wasted the father's substance. That which was entrusted to him, he wasted. And of course, he then is now dealing with guilt and shame because of his actions. And he finds himself, no doubt, pride probably crept in a little bit. He's like, I I can't go back to dad, so let me just find a job here. And so, because there's a famine, maybe there's not much work. So ultimately he finds himself working in pig pen. This is the lowest of low jobs, by the way. You understand? This is the lowest of low jobs. The reason this is the lowest of low jobs is because Jesus is telling the story. So it would sort of be understood that he's speaking of Jews. And Jews understand that pigs are unclean, swine, they have no value, right? And so for him to take a job actually caring for swine, it is the lowest of lows. But he's so hungry. He's so hungry that he begins eating the food that the swine have. Scripture says that if he hadn't have done that, he might not have made it. So he's feeding the pigs and taking a little bit out for himself. Man, that's a long ways down from being at the Father's table and being fed and going through. And so... He finally comes to this place where something happens in his thought process. He has to get past this barrier that's built up about his relationship with his father. And I think we find ourselves in the world that we're in today that oftentimes this this prevailing lie of the enemy can creep in that would keep someone from coming to the Lord. That says with what you've done in your life, maybe you had opportunity early, but some of the choices you've made, some of the things you've done, some of the actions you've taken or the actions you should have that you didn't, now the father's a great way off and you have no right to approach to him and would cause us to doubt the love of a father. But the boy decides, I'm going to die here if I don't do something. I believe there's many in our world today that are at the point that they feel like I'm going to die if something doesn't change. I'm in a desperate place if something doesn't change. Hear me. There is hope. The hope is the love of the Father. The Father's love. So, let me ask you a question. Let's say we take this story out of Scripture. And we go to someone on the street, and we say, I have a question for you. I want to tell you a story, a story of a young man that lived in a good home. And in the good home, he had things that he needed. He was taken care of there. His father loved him. But his father gave him some things when he got older, and the boy took that which the father gave of him, of his inheritance. He moved to another city somewhere in the U.S., and rather than get a job and be responsible, he just wasted everything he had. Blew it on crazy living, selfless indulgence. Just knew no limits, knew no bounds, wasted it all. And then finally, because he's at the point of death, living on the streets, he took a meaning, or a lowly job just so he could skim food from the job he was working to try to eat. And then one day he got the guts to get up and go back to his own home and talk to his father about Bringing him in, but not as a son or a daughter, but to bring him in and just hire him on for work. What do you think the father would have to say to their kid when he showed up? If we pose that question, I dare say some might say, the father would say, look, I gave you everything that was due you and you wasted it. You're a grown man now. Go figure it out. It's the human side, right? This is really what happened here. This boy reached an age of being a young man. He went out. He made mistakes. He made choices with things that had been given to him that were wrong choices to where then he had nothing to show for it but an empty life. A wasted life. But by the grace of God, he found the courage to come back to the father's house. And he planned his whole speech. I wonder if he expected rebuke from the father. I mean, would that be far fetched to think that? That he expected that the father was going to give him his mind, a piece of his mind? I mean, I've, I've, I've had a father give me a piece of his mind a few times along the way. <laughs> if all of my kids were here, they'd tell you they've had their father give them a piece of his mind a few times along the way. But watch what this father does. Watch his response to this boy. Verse 20. So the boy arose from the pig pen, came to his father. But when the boy or when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him, had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. We see here example, the love of the father. I'm sure there would be times to talk about what took place and what we're going to do going forward. But if you read on through this passage of scripture. The father says, now is not the time to talk about any of those things. My son that was lost is found. He was gone and he's returned home. The love of the father Was not concerned at this moment with correction or rebuke or any of those things. At this moment the love of the father was concerned with embracing the one who had been lost and was now found. The father was concerned with making sure the child understood you have a place here. You belong here. I've not disowned you. I've not pushed you away. I don't care how many mistakes you made in the past. The love of the Father is still as real as it was the day you walked out the door. As a matter of fact, it's more expressive than when you walked out. It was more expressive then because I want to make sure there's no doubt in your mind. The love of the Father isn't based on what you did or didn't do. The love of the Father is simply the fact you are my child. You belong to me. I have place for you. We see that example in this passage of scripture. I don't know why tonight, but for some reason, the love of the father, our heavenly father is reaching to us. He's reaching to us. Maybe it's simply so we don't disqualify ourselves or remove ourselves. I think for some, it's so that you would realize you can run back to him. You can run back to him. Hebrews 11, Hebrews 12, I'm almost done. Hebrews chapter 12, we'll start with verse 1 and we'll move through rather quickly. But of course, Hebrews chapter 11 is the chapter of faith. It's where we read about the different heroes of faith and how they accomplish so much through faith. Chapter 12 starts out on that same thread, telling us, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight in the sin which doth so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now watch, it sort of seems like he's making a shift. He says, consider him, who did this, lest you be wearied and faint in your minds. You have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. Now watch verse 5. And you have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto what? As unto children. Now here's the exhortation. My son. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord. Nor faint. When thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth. What does he do? He chasteneth. And he scourgeth every son. Whom he. Receiveth. Verse 5 is interesting. It shows us two things very quickly there. It tells us there's going to be one of two things that we could do as it relates to the chastening of the Lord. The first thing we could do is we could despise it. Right? The writer says, my son, despise not. That's the first thing we could do. The other thing it says, and don't or don't faint when you're rebuked of him. So we have two options, right? Number one, we could despise it. So have you ever... You don't have to raise your hand here. probably know the answer if you're human. Have you ever been corrected? And when you were corrected, you despised the correction. You didn't like the correction. You... Maybe you didn't say anything. Maybe you did say something. <laughs> Probably had both of those examples, right? If you've lived very long. But you despised it. Maybe you said something about how it was wrong and this and that. Or or maybe you despised it and didn't say anything. But your heart inside, you were just boiling and you held it all together there and just kept a straight face. But... You walked out and you're like, I don't know who they think they are. Why don't they tell me? They don't know me. I'm big enough to. I don't know. I don't know what it sounded like. You fill in the blank. Right. But a despising of the. And you can understand why that's probably definitely not the proper response. I've had that response a few times. You know who that response hurts the most? Not the one that did the correction. The one that did the despising of the correction. That's who it hurt the most. I can tell you there's times I've looked back on that. Those times in my life where I've done it. And I thought, why didn't I just say. Dad, mom, you're right. Help me. Counsel, you're right. Help me. Our human nature, our human nature would despise correction. Especially if we get, heaven forbid, older and wiser and think we have it figured out. I know none of us have gotten there yet, right? But those things can creep in if we're not careful. I've come to know at almost 50 years old, I'm not too big and too grown up for correction. And I don't want to despise it. Now, here's the other side of that. You say, well, no, I didn't despise it. But he says, don't despise correction, nor faint when you are rebuked of him. What does that mean, faint when rebuked? Anybody ever fainted when you were (laughs) rebuked? No, that's not what it's talking about, right? Yeah, I got corrected and it was so overwhelming I just passed out right there. That's not what the scripture's saying. But hear the word of the Lord. This is talking about a father interacting with his children we're not just talking about an earthly father. We're talking about our heavenly father interacting with us. And we've seen the love exampled in Luke 11 in those couple of chapters. It's the love that desires to give good gifts. It's the love of a father that desires to bestow upon us his spirit. It's the love of the father that looks past all of our failures and welcomes us back and wraps arms of love about us and draws us close to him and says... I'm rejoicing because you were lost, but you're found. It's the love of a father that's doing that. It's the same love of the father that corrects and chastens. The same love. And so he says, don't do either of these two things. When you're corrected by the father, don't despise it. And don't faint when you're rebuked. To faint when rebuked says, I don't get angry. I don't bow my back. I just fall back into. I withdraw. I remove myself. I go into a quiet place. I just. I'm not angry. I'm not. I'm just withdrawing. You know what I'm talking about? That makes sense? Oh, no. That's what it's talking about. Don't do that either when you're rebuked, he's saying. Don't despise it. Don't rise up in anger. But don't. Withdraw yourself emotionally and pull away. Anybody ever done? You don't, don't raise your hand. If you're human, you've done both of those things somewhere along the way. Or maybe you're just very A-type personality and you just always do the despising side or you're a very C-type personality and you just always do the faint side. I don't know, but. Don't worry about that A and C personality. That's a whole. But the Lord is instructing us through the writer of Hebrews that we're not to do either one of those things when we're corrected. So if I'm not supposed to despise it and I'm not supposed to withdraw, what should my response be to correction from the father who loves me? Oh, well, I'm just going to enjoy it. Oh, this is wonderful. Just keep correcting me, Father, right? No, he's real. But my response, let's read the scripture, verse 7. Well, before we go to verse 7, let's go to verse 6. For whom the Lord loves, he chasteneth. And he scourges, scourgeth, a lot of us in here, every son whom he receiveth. So if I'm going to be received of the father, I have to understand correction is a part of it. That's why we can look at what we read about the prodigal and Luke and understand the father received him because that was the first thing to do. We don't see any correction or instruction that come in that passage of scripture because that's not what the Lord Jesus was conveying in that parable. But we understand as a loving father, there would be a time for that. Now that the son is welcomed back into the home, and now that he has the robe on him and he has the ring, there will be a time for correction and instruction. Because the love of a father, if he just ignored all that, that's not love at all. You understand that? That's not love at all. So, verse 17 what are we supposed to do with correction? If you, what's that word? Endure, if you endure chastening, God dealeth with you as sons. For what son is he whom the father chasteneth not? But if you be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are you bastards and not sons. In other words, if there's no correction that comes from the Lord in the journey, it's a pretty good indicator you're not in relationship with him. As a father and a child. The beauty is. Our heavenly father. Always corrects us in love. Our earthly father. If we had one may have corrected us in anger. Selfishness. Disappointment. You can fill in the blank. Our heavenly father. His only motive for correction is always the same. Love. It's why we have to understand what the love of the Father is. And why we have to understand God drawing us to himself. That when he brings correction and instruction in our life. His motive is rooted and grounded in the fact he loves us. And it's the love that he has for us. That is motivating his action to bring correction to us. He loves us. Why don't you stand with me? Verse 9. Furthermore, we've had fathers of our flesh which corrected us. We gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they verily or truly for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure. But when he does it, His motive is love, and he does it for our profit. Why would he do that? So that we might be partakers of his holiness. Wow. That's the love of the Father. Now, the writer of Hebrews isn't sharing these things with us as though he thinks that chastening and correction is just something that we just love. We know that because of verse 11. Watch what he says. Now, no chastening for the present or when it's happening seems to be joyous. Right? I remember correction when I was younger. There was nothing about it I enjoyed. Except when it was over. <laughs> so the writer is real. He knows our humanity. We understand the Lord knows our frame. So when correction comes, it doesn't mean that In the moment of correction, that's not a joyful thing. But in the moment, it can be grievous. It can be a weight to us. It can grieve us for multiple reasons. We don't like being corrected. The correction identifies where we were in error. That can bring grief to us. All those different reasons. But when we know that God is doing it in love, it's for our profit. Notice the rest of the verse. Nevertheless, afterward. Afterward, afterward, let me add this, afterward if I don't despise it and afterward if I don't faint when I'm rebuked. But if I'll endure it, I'll receive it, let it have its work in me. Afterward, it yields or it produces the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Peaceable fruit of righteousness. Right standing with God. That's produced through correction. Instruction. The love of a father. The love of a father. The father doesn't say you've done wrong and I know you've done wrong. So once you get it all right, then I'll love you again. Never works. That's what we tell ourselves. Really, that's what the accuser says, and we buy into it. The love of the Father, the moment that I turn to return to Him from my failure, mistake, error, He receives us. We see the example that we read. He was watching for His Son to return. He was watching for him. When he was a ways off, far off, the father saw him. He knew who it was. And the father didn't wait for him to get to him. The scripture says the father ran to him, fell on his neck, kissed him. That tells me he embraced him, I believe. I can't imagine him just falling on his neck like this. Right? Martin got nervous. He thought I was getting ready to kiss him. He, I believe he fell on his neck. He embraced him. What was it? It was a receiving of the son. What did that boy look like? He came out of the pig pen. He had the marks of his wrong living all over him. The father wasn't concerned with that right now. He'd deal with that in a minute. The first response of the Father when you and I return from a place of error or failure or mistake is not one to say, well, let's talk about all this first. The first response of the Father is one to embrace us and receive us. And then it's to cover us. Then the correction and the healing will come. I don't know why I'm feeling this so strongly tonight. Would you talk to the Lord right now? In the name of Jesus, come on, the love of the Father towards you is real. You can't try in any way. It's not possible to even compare Him to our earthly Father. He desires to give good gifts. He desires to receive His children unto Himself. He will then place upon them... A robe of righteousness is what we see Exampled there in Luke with the prodigal Prepares a meal before them Calls the servants together And says rejoice with me My son that was lost is returned Correction will come It's part of the love of the father But it's not the first part of the process In the name of Jesus I pray your love Lord Your love be manifest into the heart of your people Your love reaching, reaching, reaching. In the name of Jesus Christ I pray. In the name of Jesus Christ I pray. In the name of Jesus I pray. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. Thank you Lord. I wonder... And I think about the story of the prodigal and the pig pen there. I wonder how long, Scripture doesn't tell us, but I wonder how long he talked to himself there. Before he finally got the courage to get up and go back to his father's house. No doubt he had, because of his planned speech, we can determine this. He had determined and built up in his own mind what his father's response was going to be. And so he was trying to have something to say before he had to deal with the father's response. Because he determined it wouldn't, he was trying to take care... Because that's our human nature, right? Let me address all the angles that I'm going to have to deal with so that when the Father sees me, I've got an answer. for. Because I know He's going to have questions. I know He's going to want to... Because He knows everything. He seems to always know everything. And He does. So let me have an answer about this and response for that. And I'm sorry for this. And I know I've done that. The Father knew the Son had a penitent heart. So he ran to him and received him. Received him. I'm thankful for the love of our Father tonight. I really, really am. I'm thankful that it wrapped about me when I didn't deserve it. And I'm thankful that he loves me enough to correct me, to send correction my way. I'm thankful that he loves me enough to do those things in my life. It's profitable for you and I. It's profitable. It's for our benefit. Amen. Can we thank the Lord together before we go tonight? Jesus, I thank you for your love that is unconditional. I thank you, dear Lord, for your correction that is rooted and grounded, based in the love you have for us as children. I'm thankful tonight that you see beyond each one of our faults, mistakes, and errors. And that your love, your love, it covers a multitude of sin. And that your righteousness is given us. And you take upon us, our unright- upon you, our unrighteousness. Thank you. Thank you, Father. I thank you tonight. I worship you. I receive of your love, Father. We receive of the love that you give, that you show, in the name of Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Amen. God bless you. Dismissed in Jesus' name.